Hey guys, Chris Bennett here, the Hulk of Hope. Hey, we have some really cool stuff to talk about real quick. Mindy Holmgren, who is the spouse of Corey, also known as Chap Holmgren. Uh, Chap died just barely over two years ago, and he was actually part of our Warrior Heart staff. He was on the prayer team up there. The guy was incredible. He had such a huge heart for helping other people. He was a therapist over at Lifestar, and we have just loved this guy, and we're just devastated when he passed. And so was his wife. So his wife actually put together a uh, a nonprofit for him in his name to help other people go through therapy at, at Lifestar. This is pretty amazing that she was able to get this put together for him. And has been able to do fundraisers, raising all these funds. And she wants to be able to sponsor somebody to go through the Lifestar Network is having a therapy session that they start on actually on February 4th. So next week is when this starts. And we want to be able to have you guys submit your applications for the scholarship. It starts on February 4th and it's for Lifestar. It's a six-week session. And it is for couples. And for this, how she wants to do this is set it up for couples to be able to get their information submitted. So if you could do that, you can go and submit your application at coreyholmgren.org slash therapy dash scholarships. You can just go to coreyholmgren.org and just click on the therapy scholarships and, and type in the information there. Now, Corey is spelled... C-O-R-E-Y-H-O-L-M-G-R-E-N dot org. So love to be able to have you guys participate in something like this. This is a lot of money that can save you guys, and we just know that it is such a benefit with Lifestar and how it can bless you and your lives in overcoming sexual addiction. So go check it out, CoreyHolmgren.org. And thanks again so much for working with Mindy and and her um, nonprofit that she has here. And we love her and helping her out in any way that we possibly can. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming under Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, James. And I'm your co-host, Sway. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Sway, what's up? What's up, man? How you doing, Rachel? Doing good. Good, good. So today's episode, we've got Jared. Yeah, dude. It's going to be awesome. Now, this this is your recommendation, Sway, that we brought Jared in today. Yeah. Um, So... Why why do you want to do this? Actually, I think this was Rachel's idea. Was it? Yeah. So Brilliant. he's our polygraph examiner, and we just thought he's a great tool for us, and we wanted to give everybody else the opportunity to see what that looks like and how that can be a tool in your healing and recovery. But right. he's not a tool. He's freaking rad. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he's such a baller. And I, I love it because... Um, I mean, he's going to mention it in here too, but, uh, you know, he has his LCSW. Right. And so even though he's not 
practicing a lot right now. Um, he brings that perspective to polygraph, right? Um, and we talk a lot about the stigma behind polygraph and why it's so scary and all this stuff. And, and yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm excited. No, I know. I learned a lot, you know, about lie detector tests and, and why he does it. And, you know, and I really appreciated the perspective that Rachel brought in and that you brought in sway as to, you know, what this has done for your relationship, why you feel that's important and the healing that it's brought for you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. And ultimately that's kind of my biggest hope is that, um, you know, people can use this as a tool for healing. Um, like any other tool that we use therapy, et cetera, it's expensive, but man, it's worth it. And we talk a lot about that. That's later awesome. in the episode. Yep. So excellent. Great. Well, with that, let's hop in the studio with Jared. Let's do it on it. Jared, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here. So before we jump in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Let me give you a quick lowdown. So uh, uh, my name is Jared Rockwood. I work with Intermountain Polygraph. Um, and I have, I've been a therapist for a big chunk of my life. Uh, mostly I worked with kids that had behavioral problems in group homes. Uh, and I specialize as a therapist working with kids who offended on other kids, which is actually how I was introduced to polygraph. I was working for a group home that required everybody do them. And I quickly learned that the polygraph was way better than I was at um, identifying areas where people were struggling, to be honest. And uh, it really helped in the both the clinical side of things as I was trying to make treatment plans and work with families. And uh, quite frankly, I thought it helped my clients to come clean and be honest and have some soul healing that comes from that kind of, you know, unconditional right. type of disclosure yeah. and the and power so, of honesty. Yeah. The power of honesty. And you could, you could just see it heal them. And so I became kind of obsessed with the process and um, maybe a little upset that it was better than I was because I thought I had a good BS meter, but um, <laughs> yeah, that drew me Rachel in. knows a thing or two about that, right, Rachel? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, awesome. I'm really excited to have you here, Jared. Um, so the reason we brought you on is, you know, uh, I have been going to Jared now for three years, three years. Thanks. Yeah. Cause I can't, I don't know. It's been a while. So, uh, it was very, very frequent, uh, at the beginning we've kind of pulled back slowly, yep. um, here and there as trust has been built. So yeah, we're excited to have you here. Awesome. Good. So Sway, Rachel, this start this first, I guess, round of questions. I want it to come to you guys. Um, why do you feel like it's been so important for in your relationship and in your recovery to be working with Jared for the last three years? So I'll jump in. So you were talking about my BS meter. Yeah. So that was a huge thing that happened with Sway's addiction and his disclosure was I always felt like I could tell if people were being honest with me or not. And Sway coming clean to me just blew everything out of the water for me. Right. Like I felt like I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust my intuition. I couldn't trust how I felt. And so I had seen that people were talking about polygraphs and I was like, that is a crazy ass idea. Like talk about an obsessive, crazy spouse, you know, but after we started looking into it more, I really felt like it was something that would help us and help our relationship. So Sway reluctantly agreed to do it because it's a scary thing to do. <laughs> but yeah, so we started doing it probably, I think the first one we did was huge. 
And the thing I really like about how Jared's process works is he doesn't give me the results. He gives it to a therapist. Okay. So I don't have to look through his results and kind of try and figure out what means what, because it is kind of worded in a convoluted way that I can't really understand. Um, So he gives it to a therapist and then the therapist goes over it with us, which I really appreciate. And so in the beginning we did, I don't know, every two or three months. And now we're down to about every six months or if I feel like we need it. So before we go over to you, Sway, real quick, um, Rachel, what I, you touched on a really um, important point, a lot of what happens with the women um, when the, when a disclosure happens, um, is that trust window just completely gets broken, right? Yep. So, you know, a lot of people think that um, by an infidelity happening that, you know, if you imagine a big, huge window with a whole bunch of window panes in it, that it only breaks one of those window panes, right? The infidelity yeah. window or the little window pane. But what it actually does is it crushes and crashes the entire window. Yeah. Because you now no longer feel like you can trust yourself, right? Right. So it causes you to question everything that you ever knew. Yes. Not just my relationship with Sway, but how I feel about other things, my relationship with other people. Yeah. Right. And you second guess basically your whole life experience. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. And so, so, oh, go, go ahead. Yeah. So I just, anyway, I wanted to point that out because it's really important that we, that we point that out for, you know, for our listeners that, you know, this isn't just an isolated thing that causes that trust to get broken. It really will shatter that the whole sense of um, self-trust that a, that a woman will have in herself yep. when, when a partner um, betrays. Yeah. So what I was going to say is this, that um, when Rachel when the idea was first floated to me and um, maybe Jared can speak to this a little bit as well. But when the, the idea was first floated to me, I was just like, that is a stupid idea. Like, why would I ever do that? That's so dumb. And then I watched a movie <clears throat> um, that Doug Weiss out of Colorado put out. It's called helping her heal. And that kind of concept of the, the, window shattering or the entire just I think Rachel actually mentioned that it just felt like there was no ground underneath her right and there was just no there was nothing solid and after the first time that and we even had a really not great therapist at the time. <laughs> Our first therapist was not super helpful, no. Yeah, she just wasn't. And, and you know, she tried. But the I noticed after that first um, polygraph that I had that there was the first semblance of some sort of solid ground that Rachel could stand on, right? Um, because she at least knew, okay, this is true. Right. This is something I can count this on. This is something right. I can count on. So, because I can no longer trust myself. Right. So, I need to find something I can trust. I obviously can't trust my husband. Right. Yeah. Just okay. something to grab onto to right. say, this is true. I know this to be true. And you can grow from there. Jared, what's your take on this? Well, certainly my view is going to be very similar. I think that one of the problems with relational trauma is that it, completely bends your general trust template. So naturally we trust our partners. We want to believe what they say and we do statistically speaking. 
And then when that's violated, it almost moves you to a lie bias. And you kind of assume everything's a lie at that point. And it's really hard to get over that. And I think that fundamentally, one of the problems with addictions of all sorts would be that um, people want to self-protect. And sometimes they even build up in their own mind, like, well, I, I can't say anything because it will hurt them. And so uh, perpetuating this lie is in their best interest. Right. And, the addict says yep. that, right? Right. That's and you start the lie to that they tell themselves. Right. Exactly. So you get yeah, in this place of self-deception. And so for them, even for themselves, the reality gets blurred in their own minds to a certain degree. And I think uh, a polygraph is just a way of kind of reconnecting with just a fundamental base line. A polygraph is not going to fix everything. Uh, there's a lot of things you can't test. You can't test what people are thinking. You can't pet, test their intentions in the future. Um, but we can test, did you do this specific behavior? Was that the only time? Is the, are, have, did you put everything on the table? Did it ever go further than this particular behavior? Um, and, and I think that gives a baseline that people can then use to grow from. Uh, but a polygraph won't fix the relationship. So to, right. to speak to that, like our first polygraph, at that point, I was pretty convinced I was going to get a divorce and I was more concerned about my kids. And so the questions that I gave Jared to ask were if Sway had viewed child pornography, if he had viewed pornography when the kids were in the room or if he had had any women in the house while I was not home while the kids were there. They were all centered around my kids. And that's all I cared about at that point so that I could gain trust in him being a parent and a father, because that's all I was looking for at that point, because like I said, I was convinced we were going to get divorced. Interesting. So you gave the questions to Jared. Tell me, tell us more about that, Jared. Why, why do you have them give, uh, give the questions rather than having you, you picking the questions? You're, you're the expert. Maybe you know the questions they should be asking. Yeah. Omniscience would be great. But, uh, the, the basic process for all polygraphs will include, I have a standard interview I do with everybody. And lots of times the questions somebody gives me may be on the formal list that I go through anyways, but I always want input because what is the places that create the most hurt? Uh, what are the places that are like bottom lines? What she's de describing is what I would call a bottom line. Like if this line has been crossed, then we we can't do this relationship anymore. And I think, I think it's fair for somebody to have true information about their bottom lines. And um, so that's why I want their input. Uh, I, I'm not going to use their question verbatim exactly like they gave it to me. There's lots of rules about what I can and can't ask. And I have to formulate it in very specific ways. But I want to know what's what hurts, what they're, what they need to know so that they can salvage the relationship if that's the goal. And, um, so I always ask for input from the therapist and from the, the partner that's involved. Awesome. The trade partner. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the main reason that I, um, you know, I brought it up to the team to bring Jared on was because so many, so many of us have this stigma around polygraph, right. And that, it's this very invasive, terrifying thing. And don't get me wrong. Every time I go in, I'm still nervous, right? Like there's always this bit of trepidation because I think there's always this um, thought process of like, well, what, a, what if I get, a, you know, a false negative or a false positive and something, you know, says that I'm not, you know, and, and all of these things run through your mind and the truth of the matter is, is that like 
I've learned to just trust it. And for me, it's a way to uh, bring surrender in. It's also a way, um, you know, it's also kind of a disclosure tool, um, which I think um, is awesome. You know, if you pair that with a, a therapeutic disclosure, um, you know, I think that there's just so much healing that can happen. Um, I don't, I don't want to say in a rapid way, but I just think that, that for us, it was very helpful. Right. I mean, yeah. And so, yeah. Jared, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is a polygraph? Perfect. Uh, so a polygraph is a fairly formalized process and it takes a long time. You know, you watch it in TV and it takes like 30 seconds and they hook somebody up and they pepper them with a couple of questions and they immediately like look at them mean and they say, you're lying about that. And then they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> or, or they bamboozle <laughs> them and get away with it, right? Yeah. Uh, the truth is we're, we're, when we sit down for a polygraph, we're going to spend probably two to three hours. And oh, wow. um, okay. during that period of time, we're going to go through a big formal interview as a kind of mentioned. Um, we're going we're gonna to go through a big formal interview that has all sorts of questions that are oriented towards a full disclosure. The format that I use has been developed with in collaboration with several different therapists and their full disclosure packets and booklets that they use. And then I just kind of collected that all together into one kind of format. Um, then we'll go over the specific questions their partner has. Uh, that they've emailed to me typically. Um, and at that point, we start preparing for the formal test. When we get to the formal test, we'll talk about every question in advance of the test. So there's no tricks or surprises. You know exactly what I'm going to ask you. Uh, the test itself is very slow and meticulous. You'll hear the same questions over and over and over again. We like repetition because repetition gives us statistical power. So uh, we're just looking to to make sure we have a good um, sample of those questions and quite a polygraph itself is always a, a differential response rate between different types of questions. What that means is you're comparing different types of questions. I'll have some questions I tell you to lie to. Okay. I'll have some questions that I, that we know are t totally true. And then we'll have questions that we're trying to explore that we don't know about. So mathematically what I'm doing is I'm just looking at the comparison between what I know is true, what I know is a lie and something I don't know and making a, a for using a form mathematic formula. So can somebody like James bond it and just like totally fake their way through a lie detector test? Great question. So, uh, that, so in polygraph, we call that countermeasures. That's when you cheat. Yep. Um, in fact, I spent a whole week in polygraph school cheating on polygraphs just to learn how it's done and to fill it out. And I looked up everything I could find online about how to cheat and tried to use different methods. Um, <clears throat> so here's the quick answer. Is it possible to cheat? The answer is yes. Um, now there's a, there's a researcher up at Boise state, uh, Charles Hans. He did a very interesting study where he had a group of people that were taking a polygraph and he told them, okay, look, I want you to cheat on this thing. Mm -hmm. And they didn't give any instructions. They just try to cheat. He took a second group and he had them read a manual um, about how to cheat. And they studied how to do it. That was good information. Same type of stuff I would study in polygraph school. And then he has a third group. And the third group is actually hooked up to a polygraph. And they're coached about how to cheat, how to polygraph works. They can see their own physiology in action, right? Um, 
when all these things are designed around mock crime. So you do a fake crime and then mm -hmm. they come back and some people did it and some people don't. And the polygraph examiner doesn't know who's who. So anyways, when they did that, the, the, the people that didn't commit the crime and tried to cheat their, their scores actually got worse. So they were, they were more likely to fall into what's called an inconclusive zone. Like you okay. couldn't tell that they were being truthful, even though they really were. Okay. Um, people that were lying looked even more severe, like they were lying. Okay. Of the three groups, the group that said, just try it, didn't help them at all. The group that read the manual didn't help them at all. The one group that had some minor success was the group that was hooked up with the physiology and had some biofeedback in the flow in of things. the moment. Yeah. Okay. And that was the only group that had any margin of success and they weren't, they weren't particularly successful, but some of them were. Right. And if I could just give one anecdote that I can't, I can't prove. I became an expert at cheating on polygraphs when I was in school. Okay. I, I'd sit down and they'd say, I'd say to the person, do you want to passing chart or a failing chart? And they tell me, and then I'd create that physiologically sitting in the chair. Okay. If I have done something that I shouldn't, cheated on my wife or whatever that is. Okay. And you hook me up to a polygraph and run it for real. I'm not convinced I could do it under that circumstance, even though I can do it under a null circumstance where nothing's going on. Because you know. Because... Because it feels different, man. Yeah. When you lie, it jacks with you, right? Okay. Like it starts messing with your head and your heart and you can, you can, you know, you okay. know, I don't think I, I don't think I could get away with that. I don't think I could even use countermeasures to cheat. And I, I just don't think I could do it all right. personally. So you're talking about being like all hooked up. So I've never had one. So just like tell those of us who's never been hooked up to one, like. Like, what does that look like? Cause yeah. that sounds kind of weird. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that part they do good in the movie. So if you ever seen a movie with a polygraph, it's probably pretty close. Um, we, we have two little stickers that will put on your, your, the palm of your hand, or those will be metal plates on your fingers. Uh, they're looking for electrodermal activity, which is electrical current in your body as you sweat. Uh, then I have a light that I put onto one of your fingers, which, um, it kind of looks like a, O2 sensor. Okay. And uh, it's looking at vasomotor constriction, which is how thick your blood vessels are as blood goes through your veins. Uh, you'll have a cardio cuff, just like when you see at the doctor's office, and it's looking for blood volume change. And then I have two tubes that go across your belly and your chest, and those are measuring um, respiration and movement. Um, and uh, the last thing that, so all of those measure for deception. Um, and I did them in the order that they're the most accurate. And then the algorithm will actually weight things according to the accuracy of the, the measurement. And then the last thing that I measure is uh, movement. So they sit in a chair and they have to sit as still as they possibly can. And for me being a little ADHD and talking with my hands, that part's really hard. You, you yeah. have to sit really still. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens if the, the person in the polygraph chair the guy getting tested or gal like is misremembering or like can't remember. So when I'm running a polygraph, I can only test what you're willfully trying to hide. So if let's take it like in the most extreme example, if you're a full blown psychotic okay. with a memory that's not real and I test you about that memory, it will look like it really happened. I even see. though it didn't. Okay. If you truly cannot remember something, it won't pop up in the polygraph. It's not, it's not a crystal ball. It's not some magical toy. 
it, it, it's going to read what you're willfully trying to hide. So f- as a therapist, when I worked with the young men that I work with, um, I had m- many occasions they'd pass a polygraph. Uh, we're sitting in group one day is usually what happens. And somebody tells a story and the kid's like, oh crap, I did that too. Or that happened to yeah, me too. Yeah. Or and they have a memory, right? Okay. It doesn't mean they lied when they took the polygraph. It means they didn't remember it. And there is a difference. And so when you do a full disclosure, you're doing as to the best of your knowledge in that moment. Okay. Sounds good. And I think that that's a a really good point too, right? Is that, um, you know, Rachel and I have a a standing understanding, I guess is the way to say that, um, that if I remember anything that I haven't disclosed, I tell her immediately, right? Yeah. So, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, um, you know, that that's very important. Um, having sat in the chair, right. Um, it's, it is easy to get very much in your head about whatever these questions are. Right. And I, I can tell you that the, the reason, at least for me that, you know, this two to three hours seems like, Oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. But what, and I think Jared can talk to this a little bit better than I can. Um, for me, it's a time that I can calm down a little bit, get used to having questions asked to me. Right. And, um, get in the mode of being honest. Right. Um, some of these questions are just like, really, we got to talk about that. And we're not being polygraphed for those questions, but having those questions asked, you know, all these different questions, it makes you go through your head and be like, well, no, no, that didn't. Yes, that did. No, that didn't. Right. And it kind of just gives you some clarity. Yes. It gives my, it gives, it gives me some clarity as I'm going through the process. Gotcha. So, like you guys have been doing this pretty regularly for three years. Three years. Yeah. Um, why three years, Rachel? Like, right. So for that guy, that addict that's out there and it's like, dude, you guys like figured it out. You, I heard your story. I heard your podcast yeah. like last year. You guys are like pretty good now. Like, yeah, come on, Rachel, get over it. Why aren't, aren't why do you need to go over there and do that every, every, well, th- every three I'm months? A bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so I, you know, and obviously yeah. I want to, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here, no, but, for sure. but I just want to help create understanding for our listeners of, of why is this so important to you still after three years? Well, the trail trauma doesn't have a timeline. Mm-hmm. The trail trauma doesn't just end once I figure Sway's being honest or whatever. Like there's still triggers that pop up. There are still things that come up that I'm like, I don't know if he's being honest with me right now. Like, I don't know what he was doing at the store last week or something like so stupid, but he lied to me for a good six years, right? Like everything he said to me was a freaking lie. So just because we've been good for the last coming up on three years now doesn't negate everything that happened and it doesn't change my experience at all. And so we're still building that trust back up. We're still putting blocks in that wall to have that trust around us again and in our relationship. And this is just one of the tools that we've chosen to use because I feel like I can trust this test. I feel like this, like Sway said, gives me more footing underneath me and makes me feel comfortable and confident that Sway is continuing to be honest. And now that's more what it is for me instead of trying to find his lies. It's just confirming his truthfulness. Yeah. If that makes sense. So I'm like, absolutely. I don't think he's 
continuing to lie to me, but now I just want to make sure that what I'm feeling is true and honest and just confirmation of that. Well, I think that that's huge, right? Because I, I mean, I think you, um, I, again, I'm not you, so, but you get those echoes throughout your life. And, oh, yeah. And there are times when Rachel has these moments that she's like, I don't think I can trust you today. Or I, you know what I mean? She has those moments that just come up. Right. And, and that's not your fault, is it, Sway? No. Right? Well, it is my fault. I mean, fault. it is. It is <laughs> totally in that, my fault. in that moment. But in that right? moment, that, it is not to your my point, fault. That's echoes of that betrayal trauma, right? right? And if, as we learn about trauma, that stays and can stay in the body. And it, to your point, it takes X number of however many years for, for yeah. or days or months or years for each individual, depending on themselves. It's right? so different for everybody. Right. Yeah. And so it's such a great point to bring up. And thank you. It was such a great answer. Yeah. Um, you know, as to why that's happening. Yeah. And so. Jared, on that point. What, what I just, my question is what percentage do you, are, are you mostly working with fidelity cases at this point or, um, you know, what's that kind of split look, look like for you? So I have a pretty big variety. So most of us that do polygraphs will also do, um, people that are on probation for sex crimes. Um, if you're on probation for a sex crime in Utah, you're going to take polygraphs. Uh, they, they do that to make sure that they're being safe and not hurting people um, and to verify that they've been honest in their full disclosures. And so uh, just because it's court mandated for everybody in the state that's on probation or parole, um, I do a bunch of those. That's probably the most that I do. I work for a lot of police departments, testing people that are becoming police officers or corrections officers. Uh, it's just a screening test to make sure they're safe. And when you're putting a gun in someone's hand and a badge and <laughs> they're taking on the arm of the law that they're people you want in that position. And yeah, so, sounds good. yeah, yeah. So I do a lot of that. And, and then, so like ultimately rank ordered fidelity would be the next. So I do Lots of guys who've engaged in sexual crimes, uh, lots of police officers and corrections officers. Um, Fidelity sits right underneath that. And then I test for like attorneys for um, cases and stuff like that. Sure. Um, So another question for you is um, with us, you know, Rachel mentioned it before, you only work with therapists uh, in order to do this. I know you know, that's not always the case with a lot of, uh, polygraphers. What's the, what's the, what's the technical <laughs> term? Polygraphists. It's Poly- like, <laughs> it sounds kind of dirty. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's why we don't use that word. <laughs> I, I always say polygraph examiner because sure. the other one yeah. sounds dirty, but, uh, <laughs> well, yes. like polygamist, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. A little bit. So in terms of, in terms of my process, really, I came to this, I, I think, part of it was affected by the fact that I am a therapist. Sure. So, so I think under kind of ethical guidelines that may be a little different than a traditional examiner. Um, uh, so ultimately, this is a couple of my personal beliefs. One, we know, statistically speaking, domestic violence in situations of infidelity is a very serious problem. And in its most extreme, it includes homicide and death. Um, and I don't feel comfortable running a test and just emailing that to somebody and saying, good luck. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think there, there's kind of an ethical quandary that, that maybe we should think about in polygraph. Um, and, and so I won't do a private exam ever. Uh, I, I always work with professionals. I kind of mentioned earlier as well that a polygraph is not going to fix your relationship. A no, polygraph right. can be like a, a support structure that kind of under, that helps to provide some immediate shift in that like versus truth bias. And it can provide some support for an individual that's tr struggling to make good decisions. So I have, a, I have a, another gentleman that I've been testing for several years on his year anniversary, just before his anniversary, he has a polygraph and then he gives those to his therapist to go over with his wife uh, in advance of their anniversary every year. And for him, he says, I, when I'm struggling, I think, oh man, I'm gonna have to tell Jared about that if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps him from doing it. Yeah. It's just one little tiny external An accountability yeah. that keeps him safe. And he, for himself, does it because he feels like it makes him a better man. And um, I don't think it's the, you know, you don't, you shouldn't use polygraph for the rest of your life to establish trust. That's what therapy is for. Uh, but in the process, it can be a great tool, but I don't believe it's a standalone. So that's why I do that. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause that was something I was going to, you know, talk to you about it is like, how long do you think that you would need this? Or do you anticipate needing this forever in order to reestablish trust or? Well, yeah, I hope we don't need it forever. That's yeah. why we're in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> like Jared said, yeah. um, I think the last one was almost eight months apart. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, which is great. And it just came up because I got one of those echoes of, you sure. know, trauma that I just felt I need something. I need some confirmation here. It's been a long time. Let's just check in and make sure everything is going the way I feel like it's going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope we don't use them for much right. longer, but do you feel like it's helped you establish your, or repair your window, your trust window, just of yourself, your own intuition? Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about just over time, um, have, how have you noticed that healing, I guess? Yeah. So the first one, like I said, it was about my kids, so it didn't do a whole lot for that. I just needed somebody else to tell me it was safe, right? Like somebody else to confirm this is okay. Um, beyond that, it has helped because I see changes in Sway and I see like the differences in who Sway was and who he is now. And just noticing those changes and then getting confirmation, it totally builds my self-trust up again. And Right. So you see him change, but you know that the change isn't BS. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I can see the change. And then he goes in for the polygraph and it's like, okay, yeah, that's legit. That's good. We're good. Yeah. Like I saw that. I got confirmation. I feel good about that. Yeah. So, right. So I mean, you're learning to trust your own intuition again. Yeah. Trust yes. your own gut feel, trust your observations again. Yep. That's awesome. Well, and that's what I was going to say, right? That's something that I've noticed, you know, from my perspective is Rachel has learned to really start to trust her intuition, and her gut again, you know, which for a long time she just didn't. And is really sad because that's a consequence of my choices right. and my actions. Right. right. Um, you know, I think um, something that I was going to mention earlier is that I, I for myself, um, I get a little bit of that accountability portion um, when it comes to my addiction. But for me, 
Um, a lot of, you know, I remember at the beginning, I thought this was just, like I mentioned before, it's BS. I don't want to do this. You know, it's relatively expensive, you know, and all of these things. But when I finally got the perspective that this is a way for me to rebuild trust. You can't put a price tag on that. No, it just totally, it completely shifted the way I thought about it. And I'm like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to build trust with my wife that I have completely destroyed. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I don't care. Still cheaper than a divorce. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, people have, you know, I I hear a lot of people, you know, kind of balk at, oh, well, I can't go to therapy because it's too expensive. And it's like, so wait, you're going to give up your marriage because it's too expensive for therapy. Or time-consuming, right? Or too time-consuming. It's hard, too. Like, this just, this isn't making sense to me. It's like, the person that you wanted to spend your whole life with, that you committed to, that you want to spend the rest of forever with, but you don't want to invest a few hundred or thousand dollars into keeping that marriage safe, protecting your children, keeping them in a good, solid home. Money, my friends, cannot be the obstacle. No. Yeah. When you are fighting to keep your marriage. And I, and I get that that's a really hard place to be, right? That it's a really hard place to be because, um, I mean, I look back, uh, I was working three jobs. and Two households. Yeah, supporting one and a half, two <laughs> now. But still, you know, it was really, it was, it was, it's a tough time. Um, but I know for myself, you know, this is, again, like therapy, one of the tools that has helped us heal and get us to where we are now again like any tool it's a crutch for a little while and we may and hopefully we don't need jared for you know decades but (laughs) so and jared's here nodding he he agrees i totally agree Yeah. yeah it's a temporary structure for helping the trust build and then you turn people loose and yeah it's like therapy you know right so tell us i guess what is, has been your success rate in, in situations where we have, say, an addict husband or, or in cases of infidelity and they choose to follow this path, similar to uh, Sway and Rachel, of um, coming in to do lie detector test and using that as a, as a way to help cause healing? Tell us a little bit about what is your experience yeah, because, been with that? Yeah, because I, I don't think, you know, not it's not right for every couple. Right. Right. So I, I would like to, for me, I'd like to know like what percentage of them use it as a tool to fix their marriage. And, and I know some of them will use it as the tool to decide to break up, which is right, right? Because the bottom lines you talked about. But for those that have chosen that the no bottom lines have been crossed and they use it as a tool for healing, what percentage of those guys make it, would you say? So this is a great question. I will not be able to answer with any great level of confidence for this yeah. reason. Uh, information goes one direction from me to the therapist. And so the therapist is doing the long haul and I don't always, sometimes I'll test somebody once, twice, three times and never see them again. Did it work or did it fall apart? Right. Right. Um, Now I will, I will say doing a full disclosure in a situation where the divorce is pending and the expectation is probably the wrong idea because my, among my fears would be somebody would, have a polygraph done for the purpose of extracting 
embarrassing information and then using that using in court it a, oh, to okay. try to leverage yeah. child support, like child custody or something, right? So, so I have a fear when I do these and I, I really want the therapist to be taking the lead and feeling good about it mm-hmm. for that reason. I, I wanna make sure that it's for healing. I, I don't really intend on just like screwing people over. That's not my goal. That's a good goal. Now I will say in terms of like <laughs> the one stat I can give you if, so I don't, I don't actually track just uh, fidelity specifically, but if I look at my overall pass versus fail rate, the vast majority of people that come in and take a polygraph do well. It, it, it's way more about validating their honesty than it is trying to like catch the liar. Uh, and sometimes people lie and, and in a situation where they're lying to their spouse about very fundamental pieces, their spouse has a right to know. And so if they choose yep. to lie, then they deserve to fail. And yeah. if that compromises the relationship, it is not so my it. fault. Yeah. It's not her fault or his fault. It's the one that's chosen to betray their yeah. partner, right? And so, if the one continues decide to decide to lie, that's that's on them. That's on them. That's on them. Uh, yeah. And what a heavy burden. And I, I would yeah. I would say one suggestion I'd have if you're sending your partner to take a, a test is to not give them an ultimatum. Sometimes I'll hear people say, if you say anything new, if there's any new information, we're done. Yeah. Well, that dude, if he's got something to talk about, he has no motivation to talk about it now because he, if he passes and discloses something, she's claiming she's out. Uh-huh. And if he fails, she's out. So he might as well try to get a false negative and right, lie and right. get away with it, right? That's That would be like a logical choice at that point. So so when you come to take a polygraph, expect to learn something. That's the point. And it's about being honest. So don't blockade. If, you, if your goal is to heal, don't stop the honesty you want. You want that to be on the table. Well, and as a spouse, like to speak to that, I would strongly encourage you to talk to the polygraph examiner first or let them explain the process a little bit more because like Jared was talking about, you see in the movies, all of these things that people do, like how they can evade a test and how they can lie and like how it looks and all of this stuff. And to actually understand the process, because I know a lot of wives don't do it because they think it's so easy to cheat and lie on it. And it's so easy to do this. And to learn Sounds about like the process. Not, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what I learned when yeah. like I decided that I wanted to ask Sway to do that is to learn about the process, learn about what you're looking for and do make sure that you're going in with the heart for healing and finding at least a baseline of some kind so that you're not like the ultimatum is a really ugly thing to go in with. And I know that Chris has talked about this before. He's not here tonight, but he and Autumn, Autumn was going to have him take a polygraph test and that's what triggered his full disclosure because he didn't want to be he didn't want to have to go through yeah, that part. Yeah, he didn't want to so go through it and be like, it. shit, she's going to find out everything. So I might as well do yeah. it now. Yeah. Sway? So, yeah, I was going to say, you know, something that Jared said a minute ago really struck home for me. And that is that um, it's very validating um, as somebody who has lied, not just to everybody around me for my whole life, but has lied to myself, mm. you know, for decades right yeah and um and every time i step out of jared's office as i'm walking out i pretty much give jared a big high five just because like it's so validating and so um comforting to know that i am 
honest and I am being, you know, I'm being a hundred percent. Right. And, and that feeling, I mean, yeah, I, you know, a big portion of the reason that I do this is for Rachel, but man, when you walk out of there, you're just like, I, I mean, yeah, you feel you're, like you just won the lottery. Yeah, you're right? walking away burden free yep. and knowing that you've been burden free now for three years. Yeah. You're not lying to yourself. Yep. Especially it sounds like that's what is really impactful for you. Yeah. It's to know you're not carrying the burden of lies anymore. Yeah, exactly. I get the Marco Polo after he takes the test with a big stupid grin on his face. Like I did it. I passed. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, is there anything else that, uh, that, I needed to ask you that I haven't yet. Well, let me throw one question I get a lot. It has to do with he's a chronic liar, so therefore he won't he'll pass the test because he's such a great liar. Okay, right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to point at some research again. Um, sociopaths. So okay. When, when it comes to sociopaths, uh, even in the world of polygraph, there was a belief that these guys probably couldn't test because they have a different brain structure about what consequences are and what Mm -hmm. good and bad is. And so because they think differently, maybe the polygraph wouldn't be as effective. So they they've actually pulled this group out and tested them specifically and found that sociopaths are just as they manifest guilt just as much as anybody else. And um, so, so I think it's, it's comforting to know that just because you've got an addict brain that's lied for a long time, it doesn't equal that you truly believe that lie. Okay. And, and so, so no matter what, even if you're a sociopath, you know, you're lying when you're lying. Yeah. And, and it manifests itself statistically in a polygraph. And I guess the one last thing I'd say about a polygraph is it's not a perfect tool. Yeah. It, it's not a hundred percent accurate. Um, in fact, do we want numbers? Here's some numbers. Do you want to nerd out on us just for a second? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give so, us some numbers then. So here's you. some numbers. Uh, so the best test we do in polygraph is not the one that we typically do in, in this type of screening test situation. The best tests we do are for like a specific accusation of a crime. So the only place you'd see that in fidelity is if you're like, I think you cheated with this specific person and you're really fixated on that. It's that person. And that's the only question you want to know about is, mm-hmm. was it that person? That test is roughly 93% accurate. So it's got okay. a 7% error error rate. Uh, that error rate will encompass both false positives, which is when you tell me the truth and I call you a liar mm-hmm. and false negatives, which is when you lie to me and get away with it. Um, screening exams is what we do almost exclusively. So histories and maintenance tests are both, um, are both screening exams and they re- they're roughly 85% accurate. So you have a 15% error rate. So, uh, again, that's both types of errors. It's not like 15% of the time I'm going to say yeah. you're a liar when you told me the truth, yeah. but, but there's a chunk that's, it's possible. And I think it's worth recognizing that, right? Like, I'd love to say it's perfect. It's good. It's way better than human judgment. Your therapist's ability to make that same decision is about 54% accurate. So, ah, so, so that's a coin toss versus 93%. Right. Exactly. Okay. So it's, it's a huge improvement. Um, but I have to acknowledge its limitations as well. Right. Yeah. So thank you. I just wanted to point out one more thing. Something Jared and I have talked a lot about is what kind of questions can you ask? Like, so I know some women will come in, some spouses will come in and ask, have you ever had a sexual thought about another woman? Or have you ever, you know, all of that kind of stuff, what kind of specific questions can be answered and what kind of questions will you just not even ask? Great, great question. So, so here's the basics. Uh, One, I have to test behaviors and it has to be historic or something that's happened in the past. Um, So I can't test 
what's going on in someone's mind. Um, I, I get asked a lot, can you ask him if he loves me? Uh, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. Um, uh, if, does he want to get a divorce? That's another one I hear a lot. I, I can't test that. Right. Like that's, that's, that's not really something I can do. So I have to test a behavior. So we have to, we have to narrow it down to a very specific something. Have, have you exchanged nudes with somebody? Have you touched anyone on their privates? Have you engaged in kissing or cuddling or other types of intimate contact? Have you had sex with anybody else? These are good questions because they're clear, they're, they're concrete. If they have done those things, you can ask, was it with anybody else? Um, if they say, look, all we ever did was exchange nudes. I never even saw her in person. You can test. Did you ever meet up in person? Totally doable, but they've got to be concrete and they got to be behaviors. I can't test what they think and what they want and what they're going to do in the future. Awesome. Jared, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank yeah, you. This was awesome. Thanks, Jared. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. It's been, been fantastic. Fun. One more thing, Jared, if anybody wants to get in touch oh, with yes. you, how do they do that? Yeah, sure. So the website's intermountainpolygraph.com. So that's easy enough. And my name is Jared Rockwood. You could also give me a call, 801-960-6480. There it is. Awesome. Thank and you. we'll have that information on the blog post and everything. Absolutely. We'll put that on the website. Outsiders, we love you. Thank you. Um, if you would like to become an outsider, go to our home. Do it. To go to our website and go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. And to those of you who want to follow us on social media, it's at unashamedunafraid at Instagram, Facebook. Yep. All the things, right? All of the things. And uh, anything else I'm overlooking here? This is usually Steve's realm, but uh, I think I got it. In the meantime... Stay unashamed and unafraid.